Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey everyone, it's Reed. As you've probably heard, we're running ads on the Lincoln Project podcast. I want to thank you for your patience and let you know that these ads help us ensure that we can continue the Lincoln Project's mission of protecting American democracy and defeating Donald Trump in 2024. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm once again joined by Joe Walsh, former congressman representing Illinois' 8th Congressional District, former 2020 presidential candidate, former member of the Republican Party, and current host of the White Flag with Joe Walsh podcast, available wherever fine podcasts are sold, and you should listen to it. Joe, welcome back. Hey, Reed, it's good to be with you. There are a lot of formers there. I know. Well, I'll say that you're current all around good guy. How about that? No, I take it. All right. So, Joe, there's a lot going on in, I guess, our now former party. So why don't we start with the uh, biggest orangest member of it? So you're probably not surprised, as, as I wasn't, that every time Donald Trump gets indicted, his numbers go up amongst Republican primary voters. And I think the last time you and I were together, we talked about your experience running against him almost four years ago now. So given that experience, given I'm going to call it your evolution, I don't know what you'd call it, from someone who was pretty deep in the conservative wing of the Republican Party, does any of that surprise you? And is it just the Republican primary voter or is it the majority of the electorate as well? I think it's the majority of Republican voters. Again, I'm in a weird, odd, bizarre, unique spot because, as you said, I come from MAGA world. I came from the cult. I voted for Trump in 16. I was a Trumper. The same people who voted for Trump and supported Trump voted for me and supported me. I come from that world. I still engage with that world every day. As you and I sit here today, it doesn't surprise me at all that Trump is going to be the nominee. I think he was always going to be the nominee. I think this is his party. I think it's always been his party. There was a two-day window after January 6th where maybe something might have happened. There was a two-day window after the midterms, the 2022 midterms, where maybe something was going to happen. But that's it. This is his nomination. It's his party. And Reed, I think it goes way, way, way beyond the base. The base is rabid for him. But you got all these cowardly country club mainline Republican voters out there who kind of quietly go along with the base and they want what they thought they had under Trump, too. Yeah. And, you know, that's the one thing that's been most upsetting to me. Well, there's been a lot of things, but I, let me say this generationally have been upsetting to me is I'm a proud member of Generation X, Joe, and Generation X white guys are pretty deep in the tank for Donald Trump. And I would not have thought that about my cohort. You know, we don't like anybody telling us what to do. But maybe he scratched that itch of, you know, like he's the parent that was never around for us, right? And now he's sticking it to the man, such as it was. But that's surprising and concerning given the fact, you know, I've got teenage girls 
we are lucky to be, you know, in the position that I think many of us are. And yet, to your point, they are probably the backbone of Trump's support. It's amazing. Seven years after Trump came on the scene, two and a half years after January 6th, most people still don't get it. Donald Trump is a direct threat to our democracy. He tried to fucking end our democracy. You and I are in the business, and so we care about this, and we think about this every damn day. But I know you've had the same experience I have, talking to friends and buddies who are out there, and they're in the uh, business world, the investment world, they're doctors, they're whatever, and they don't pay attention to this all the time, and they don't appreciate the threat that he and what he represents is. I still don't think they do. And if you can keep my taxes low and keep government generally regulating out of my hair, I don't mind Trump again. I hear a lot of that. I think that's right. And it's interesting, too, that to your broader point, Joe, we're still having the wrong argument. Eight years after this guy came down the escalator, the argument still amongst the folks that you and I talk to, mostly guys probably, but the folks that you and I talk to, but also the media, the political elite, the financial, the industrial elite is this is Republicans versus Democrats. And, you know, oh, well, what if Joe Biden gets elected, doesn't make it through a second term? I'm not going to have anything to do with a Kamala Harris presidency, to which I say, first of all, no one knows anything that's going to happen. Secondly, here's the only thing I know. Never having been a huge fan of progressive leftist politics, right, or lefty politics in my day, which was you could say a lot of things about Kamala Harris as a potential president. Here's the one thing that really is the bottom line for me, Joe. She's not going to end American democracy, <laughs> right? Donald Trump is, and Iran DeSantis is. I don't think the rest of these goons have any chance, and I don't think DeSantis does either, candidly, but Trump enters us into a world unlike none of us have ever seen. We've had a glimpse of it. Right. If for four years we saw and it was, you know, the sort of lull, nothing matters. Right. LOL. Nothing matters. Crowd. Right. It's all a big joke. You know, and then Washington, D.C. is a very adaptive environment. Right. They'll figure it out. Oh, OK, well, Trump's crazy, all this other stuff. But also, you know, like he's ultimately transactional. He's ultimately for sale. Oh, and by the way, did you know if you run ads for your thing on Fox News at night, like you're likely to get in front of him. So we'll figure out how to do that as opposed to no, like the rot that the American political class in particular accepted, right, with Trump in office hasn't gone away. It hasn't repaired itself. It's like, oh, well, you know, and you, you take the media, right? Oh, covering Joe Biden's kind of boring, right? His White House doesn't leak, right? They're always on message. Well, that's what a good White House does. And a good reporter figures out how to tell the story anyway, as opposed to Donald Trump said something crazy. Jared came out and told me or somebody else leaked it because the chaos, just like for so many of Trump's fans, is the dopamine rush they want, right? Every day is a new adventure. Every day is a new roller coaster. What's it going to look like today? It's this, Reed. It fucking comes down to this. Donald Trump tried to end our democracy. And if given power, he'll do it again. Now, you, Reed Galen, I know believe that in your bones. It's why you do what you do. I, Joe Walsh, believe that in my bones. I don't think there's a sufficient number of Americans who believe that in their bones. And if that's the case, then the threat is still there. And 24 is up for grabs. You know, we launched the Lincoln Project three and a half years ago. 
I was pretty anti-Trump from the moment he came down the escalator, although I, which I should say, candidly, I didn't believe it when I first saw it, like so many people, but pretty quickly learned that it was going to happen. I did not believe he'd win the presidency. But, you know, post-Lincoln Project launch, you know, I lost a lot of friends, some dear friends, you know, don't talk to me anymore. I'm not likely to talk to them. These are the kinds of people in the world we live in now, Joe, where if I said, hey, I'm going to be in Washington, D.C., let's go have lunch, they probably wouldn't do it. Not because it would be bad for me, but because it would be bad for them. And I was talking to a person who's a Democrat, of all things, who is dealing with something where they have now lost a couple of friends because of something. And I said, I'd like to tell you that you get used to it, <laughs> but you don't. You, you know, it's like uh, Jason Isbell has a great song, right? It gets easier, but it never gets easy. And I wonder how you feel, because I know that you were deeper into that environment than I ever was. You have come much further on sort of a spectrum perspective than, than I have. So what's it like for you? Read even five to six years later, every day is still painful. And I've thought the last five or six years, I've tried to think as somebody who took the same journey I did from the bowels of MAGA world. I mean, a Tea Party musket grabbing son of a bitch who helped elect Trump. Standing up and cheering as Charlton Heston puts the musket above his head. From right? my cold, dead hands. <laughs> and then turning on Trump. I mean, I was the face of the Tea Party movement. I help elect Trump. I voted for him. And then I turn on him. I'm syndicated around the country on the radio. And then I begin to lose my radio show. And then I publicly come out against him. And then I actually get off my ass and challenge him in 2019. As a radio guy up in Canada said to me, I took a blowtorch to my career. And I did. No regrets, but I did. I can never, ever be elected as a Republican again because of what I did. I can never, ever, ever again have a conservative talk radio show because of what I did. I gave up my media career. I gave up my political career because of what I did. In, in your world, you did as well. And I just don't think people really understand that either. Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. You know, I was on a call with some of our folks last week and you know, Joe, you've probably done this too, which is we got ourselves spun into a pretty dark place just by accident. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, we all click off the Zoom and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about it. I said, you know, guys, that was a pretty dark call. But I'll tell you this, there's no place I'd rather be. There's nothing I'd rather be doing and no one else I'd rather be doing it with. And that's the sort of thing that has to keep you going because you're right. There's a lot easier ways to spend your day. But, you know, I think that the reason we do this is because we believe in it. And I think that's the thing that I think is a big differentiator. Like, we really believe in this stuff. So I lost every single supporter of mine. I lost every single follower. The people who helped elect me, I lost. I lost almost all of my friends. I lost many family members. But in a way, Reed, it was like the easiest decision I ever had to make even though I threw away my life, 
I couldn't live with myself if I didn't do that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. For sure. Because it's like, you got to wake up in the morning and say like, is this really what I'm going to do? Because, and Ann Applebaum in the Atlantic wrote about this probably in 2019 or 2020, I'm not sure, but she sort of goes through the steps of rationalization working for an authoritarian like Donald Trump. You think about that. Every day you got to get up and look in the mirror and come up with a new reason for why you're doing what you're doing. There probably isn't a shortage of them, but every compromise you make, every little compromise to your integrity, to your belief system, every day you go in and you're sitting in an office and you see something you know is wrong or you hear something that you know is atrocious or you watch the Fox News that's on in every office and every Republican deal in the country and you go, I'm doing this, I'm really doing this. And then you put your head back down and you keep doing it. That's the hard choice. I have no sympathy for the people that make that, believe me. Right? In fact, I am probably too without grace. I don't have enough grace for folks that have made that decision. But I will tell you this, Joe, if I have to have one more person I know who has done very well in this business, and there has never been a better time to be in American politics, especially in D.C., than in the last 20 years, I have a company, I have a family, I have this. Like, I know you have three houses, right? I know you do, <laughs> right? So don't tell me it's because you have all these other responsibilities. You do. You have made a choice. Okay, you made your choice, but like, don't try and pound that off on me now, right? No, and, and Reed, look, not just Congress. I come from the right-wing media world. I was one of those hellraisers. I literally could have replaced Rush Limbaugh. I walked away from all of that, and that wasn't hard. It's been painful to not have some of that, but it was an easy, easy, easy thing to do because I couldn't live with myself. A guy you know, a buddy of mine who I got elected with, Adam Kinzinger, same state, same year we got elected. He's going through that right now, Reed. Like He's going through what I went through five years ago, three and a half years ago, when I realized I could never come back to this party. It's tough. Adam's going through that now. He had a bright future as a Republican elected official. That could all be gone now. Right. And this is one of those things where sometimes our friends and allies on the Democratic side of the aisle confuse me, which is, remember that Adam didn't run again because he couldn't win. They redrew his district, so he, there was no possible way a Republican could win it. So like, you had the choice to leave a guy like Adam in office, and you chose to take it. Like, I get it sort of at a macro political level or at a base political level, but he's not in office anymore because of a very particular reason. That's fine, and I, I have nothing but respect. But Joe, in a recent interview, Liz Cheney said, one of the biggest problems in America is we keep electing idiots. The majority of the people that are electing some of these, I'm going to call them goons, to the U.S. House in particular, they should know that this person has no business whatsoever within a country mile of any sort of public responsibility. Is that why they vote for them? Why is the idiot the class du jour for so many Republican voters? Because Reed, we're living in a populist moment in American history, world history. You know this, you're a historian. There's good and bad in populism. You and I could spend a day probably debating populism, but regular folks have felt ignored and dismissed for years. And I think there's some truth to it. You and I have talked about this. The establishment, especially the GOP establishment, ignored these people. And then along came people like me and we inflamed them. So in a populist moment, when people are scared, the world is changing, life is changing, America's becoming less white, 
there are a thousand genders and oh my God, that is an environment ripe for demagogues, charlatans, and liars. So who does well? Marjorie Taylor Greene feeds a bunch of bullshit. Donald Trump feeds him a bunch of bullshit. Tucker Carlson, Robert F.K. Jr. feeds these people a bunch of bullshit. So the demagogues and the liars and the charlatans are what the folk want to hear because they affirm the fears that these people have. And in their defense, their world has been rocked. I mean, their world is changing. You and I have talked about it. It seems to be changing in a nanosecond. These people needed to be sat down and they needed to be educated and they needed to be given some tough love and shown the way that it's a good thing to have a lot of immigrants in this country, no matter what their race or creed. But nobody sat them down. The party ignored them. And then along came Trump and Trump said, I'm going to build a wall and keep brown and black people out. Boom. Then along came a lot of Trump imitators and they tapped into that ugly fear that a lot of these people had. Yeah. And I mean, social upheaval often comes with economic and or technological upheaval. And, you know, we see that in the industrial revolution in England, we've seen that, you know, look, 70 years ago, right? Union membership was through the roof, a lot of heavy industry. You could live in Michigan, be a one family household, wherever the case might be, the rust, what we now call the rust belt. And you could send your kids to college and you could have a truly upwardly mobile world where your kids, you went to high school, then you went to the assembly line. Maybe you went to World War II, whatever the case might be. But your kids went to the University of Michigan or Michigan State and they became professionals. And you watched them and you said, I worked this hard and my kids did that. And it was a world, again, to your point, that everybody understood. You understood it socially, you understood it racially, you understood it economically. But, you know, that's a fairly brief time, right, post-World War II. Maybe it lasts 15 years, 20 years before you get into the late 60s of civil rights, Vietnam and everything else. And then you get to Watergate. And it's sort of been this sort of cascade of stuff for the last, let's say, 45, 50 years, where it's, you know, we talk about. Pat Buchanan at the 1992 Republican convention, right? Well, I was on the floor because I was an intern for George H.W. Bush, right? I was 16 years old, right? I was driving the first lady's chief of staff, right? It was my first job where I had a driver's license, Joe. They gave me, a, no kidding, a Buick station wagon that was about 28 feet long. They could not have resold it after I was because <laughs> I was a 16-year-old. But I remember standing on the floor watching him give that and, you know, the famous Molly Ivins quote. And then you get to, in the 2000 election, Think about the 2000 primary, how many very socially conservative candidates there were in that race. And then you had George W. Bush and John McCain, who still at that point, you know, the vast majority of the party was establishment. Oh, four as a reelect. Oh, eight. Remember, it was McCain, but we didn't know it was going to be McCain up against Huckabee in the Republican primary in 12. It was Gingrich and Santorum. Right. So. Maybe looking back, we shouldn't be surprised. There were always the sort of flags there. Just none of us were looking at them. As far as my point being is that the populist, social, conservative, religious wing of the party was always there sort of fighting to get out. Reed, that's exactly right. And then you had the 2010, you had the Tea Party wave, which was a big part of this as well. You're right. And the establishment never understood it and kind of dismissed it. Instead of sitting them down and hearing them out and then teaching them. But you nailed it, Reed. It was the proverbial 50s where my job was at the plant in town. I could say Merry Christmas 
and men married women. It was a simple, different life. And by the way, Nick, screw this. Screw Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley comes out this week and gives kind of a speech that we need to go back to that. And it's all part of tapping in. I mean, pushing these fears. But for Nikki Haley, who is of Indian, you know, South Asian extraction, her family would not have been accepted at that point in American history, in American life. Bingo. Bingo. And you feed these people this false impression and affirmation of a religious white America where everybody had a job in town and we can get that back as if it ever existed. This is what Republicans and their right-wing media folk, and I did some of this, do. And it's reached a crescendo now with Trump and DeSantis. I only want to spend about two minutes on Ron DeSantis, Joe, because I don't think, A, he's worth it, and B, he's not going to be the nominee. But it's fascinating to see, especially amongst the quote-unquote Republican elite and the donor class, that this was the alternative to Donald Trump. And to me, what it says is what Donald Trump did, they were pretty okay with. It was how Donald Trump did it, how he looked, how he talked. He's an embarrassment. He's a goon. He gets up on the stage and he dances to YMCA. You know, Ron DeSantis, he's credentialed. Ivy League, Navy, pretty wife, family, everything else. You know, he can go do all that stuff. I don't really care because you know what? This is the ultimate thing. It's the ultimate plutocrat's request. Let me do what I want to do. And if there's a problem, you're going to solve it for me. You know, read the one thing Trump had right from the beginning. He understood how weak and feckless the Republican Party establishment is, that he could so easily overtake this party. And they're still, the GOP establishment is still weak and feckless. They all were so desperate to have a Trump alternative. They signed on with this guy who they really didn't vet. They didn't understand. They never saw in action. He is horrible with people. I mean, that, that's a big deal for a politician. No, he's a terrible candidate. And you've been a candidate. You know this stuff. I mean, my dad, who worked in politics for a million years, always said, Joe, and, and I think he said this with, it was half love, half sort of curiosity. People who are willing to run for public office have a different chip than the rest of us. You have to be willing to put your name on a ballot and to go out there and put yourself before the people, literally and figuratively, right? In an analog way, go and face other human beings and say, I deserve your vote. And to your point, and in a state like Florida, it's so big and he raised so much money that it's not a retail politicking campaign. And for, they put up Charlie Crist, who was 31 flavors of politics right in Florida. He was an also ran of an also ran. And he wins by 19 or whatever. Right. Oh, OK. Look, when I worked for George W. Bush in 1998, they ran the same kind of guy against him. Gary Morrow, who'd been land commissioner for 16 years. We crushed him, I think, by about 17 or 19, whatever it was. The difference was George W. was actually a very good candidate. And I mean, name and everything else. But DeSantis wins Florida. Oh, if I can win Florida, we can win everywhere. And then he goes to Iowa, you know, and he flops. He goes to New Hampshire. He ticks everybody off because there's nobody flintier than New Hampshireites. And, you know, and you see him and you're like, this is the guy? Rick and I were in New York talking to an editorial board of a very large newspaper. Joe, let me just put it that way. And they're like, what about DeSantis? And this is what we said. December of 22. He's the most overbought political stock in America. And they didn't believe us because we've been through this, Joe. 
You're so right. Like I know DeSantis and he doesn't like or understand people. To me, that's pretty basic. But you're right that the establishment was so desperate to find somebody to beat Trump. They signed on with this guy without vetting him at all. And now they're really up the creek. Well, and to your point, though, who else was it ever going to be? Right. I mean, that's the other part. Going back to the beginning of our conversation was, was there anybody out there who could out Trump Trump in a way that, you know, Rick used to call it running Trumpism through the car wash? Maybe somebody could have done it. Ron DeSantis wasn't going to be the guy. But at this point, they don't want anybody else. I mean, this is the singular nature of a party that's really an authoritarian movement, which is Trump is the leader. Spot on, Reed. The party wants a prick. They want a jerk. They want a bully. They want an authoritarian. That's what they want their nominee to be. That's Trump. People thought it was DeSantis. Well, that is who he is. I don't see anybody in this field who can be a prick, an authoritarian, and a bully and a jerk. Let me change gears on you for a second and go back to, you know, when I was growing up in Republican politics, we were the party of individual liberty, small and efficient and effective government, a muscular and moral foreign policy, at least as we thought it was. Pretty much all that stuff's gone now. I just wrote a piece where if you listen to Cleta Mitchell, for example, and she says in a thing to Republican donors she did in April where our friend Lauren Windsor got it on recording, said, if anybody has speaks of saving democracy or has democracy in their name, they're not our friends. And that, you know, they want not only to control the public space, but also the private space. You know, that's anathema to the party that I grew up in. Republican voters, I believe, have given up on democracy, to go back to what we were talking about a minute ago, to give them back this mythical America they want. They don't believe the democratic process can get that back for them. So give me a strongman, give me a bully, give me an authoritarian, give me an Orban, give me a Putin who will get that America back for me. That's like the be all end all. And so free markets, free trade, all the rest, forget about it. When movements like this take power. And we've seen a preview of it, Joe, from Trump's entire presidency, the summer of 2020 with the George Floyd protests and the reactions to it from January 6th. And, you know, what Trump and his people were willing to do is when these folks get in power, there's a couple of things you need to understand. One, they move very, very fast. Two, they believe that the Constitution is nothing but an old piece of paper that they will interpret to their benefit. And three, They will do everything they can, to your point, to ensure that all of the power that the federal government can amass against people that it doesn't like will come to bear. And I think sometimes just going back to the conversation about how folks just don't believe it, it might just be too fantastical. Now, you know, there's a reason why I call myself your friendly neighborhood, Cassandra. (laughs) Right. And I would love to be wrong, Joe. I'd love, there's nothing more in the world I would love to be than wrong about this. Reed, I agree with everything you're saying. And I agree that people still don't get it. But even after January 6th, they still don't get it. Because I come from the base, I still talk to the base every day. And over the last four or five years, I mean, I've had hundreds, thousands tell me a variation of, Joe, I'm conservative. This country's going to never be conservative again unless we have a strong man who will make it conservative. I had a good, good, good friend of mine who's no longer a friend, a really smart guy. And we ultimately broke up because he had no problem 
with Trump being a king, if the king could on his own give him back the policies he wanted. And this was a really smart man, Reed, successful man telling me this. That's scary stuff. But let me ask about that, because Joe Biden's been president for two and a half years, right? Really still near as I can tell, never been a better time to be a very wealthy American than there is now. Tax rates are, relatively speaking, very low. There's plenty of ways to get out of them if you want. You know, we are a hundred years in time, but a thousand years in effect of massive corporations with little to no checks on their growth or their behavior. So I guess my question is, what the hell else do they want? Reed, you're right. It's a great question. And so maybe they're not being really truthful. And maybe a lot of it, maybe more of the cultural stuff. I found that businessmen who lean Republican are hesitant to talk about the cultural stuff as opposed to the MAGA base. Maybe the cultural stuff privately is a bigger deal for them. So let's start to wrap this up. I want to talk about there's Trump and the Republicans, but I want to talk about the other forces at play in American democracy that I think all ultimately accrue to Trump's benefit. First is someone like a, an RFK Jr. You know, OK, if his name was Bob Smith and not Robert F. Kennedy Jr., like no one would care one iota about him. He's there. Right. Has little to no business being a Democrat anymore, near as I can tell. I mean, I, I guess he did a lot of stuff on the environment years ago. But now, to your point, he's an anti-vax conspiracy theorist. Then you have like Cornell West and Jill Stein. Like, why are they there? Like Jill Stein at the same dinner in Moscow with Michael Flynn sitting at Putin's table. <laughs> right. Then you have something like a no labels where it's like, oh, we're just an insurance policy, you know, to make sure that American democracy wins because nobody really wants Trump versus Biden again. Or, or, well, American voters are fickle, so they're not quite the French, but they're always unhappy with their choices. And then you have the Russians, the Saudis, the Emiratis, the Iranians, the North Koreans, right? All of these people arrayed against American democracy and will do what they can, I believe, to either hurt Biden or help Trump. They're sort of both the same thing. I mean, what's your sense of that? My sense is that you're on to something, and I think all of these forces are connected. And I'm sure people have. And if you follow a lot of the money behind all of these people, no labels, RFK Jr., it's a lot of the same anti-establishment, crazy anti-establishment, right-leaning money. I wish this would come out more. I wish people understood more that the people back in RFK Jr., are the same people back and giving money to no labels, and it's all to weaken Biden. Why would you want to weaken Biden if you thought Trump was a threat? So a lot of these people don't think Trump's a threat. I think there is a real strong, quiet, closeted, big money movement of people that want Trump back, and they can never, ever say that. And so they're propping up and funding a lot of this other shit. Reed, you're going to see Robert Kennedy Jr., speak at the Republican convention next year. I'm sure he will. No, somebody said it was a joke, right? Somebody's like, it wouldn't surprise me if Trump chose him as his vice presidential nominee. We, Reed, stop for a moment. Would it surprise you? Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Because here's the thing. Remember that in 2008, John McCain wanted Joe Lieberman to be his vice presidential nominee. But the problem was, is that in the 2008 context, Lieberman wouldn't clear a Republican convention. The convention would revolt and they would put somebody else, whoever the hell it was going to be, on the ticket with McCain. 
that's not the dynamic anymore. Hey, Reed, the political expert you are, play it out for me. If you had a Trump RFK Jr. ticket in the general, just objectively speaking, part of me thinks that would play well. How do you think that would play? I don't know because it's a, that's an awful lot of crazy. I mean, that's a whole <laughs> hell of a lot of crazy. But it would be interesting to see because, you know, Trump gets the anti-vax white guy. RFK Jr. gets the anti-vax Marin County mom. Wealthy, white, convinced that Jenny McCarthy was right about vaccines and autism. I think that, you know, the RFK Jr. voter could be very similar to a hardcore Bernie Sanders voter of years ago, which is, to your point, it's all about anti-establishment, right? It's all about, I hate the system as it is. And if these two guys can help destroy the system, I'm all for it. I don't know that it can win, but it would, let's put it this way, Joe, I'd rather see it in a movie than have to live it. Agreed. I think if RFK Jr. were a woman, I think it's automatic because I think Trump wants a woman. But all of this is to say, as you have wonderfully lined up all the forces in play to try to help Trump and hurt Biden, this had better wake up folks into the realization that Biden's reelection is not at all automatic. No, for sure. And, and as Stuart Stevens likes to say, our biggest failure of the last eight plus years has been one of imagination. And I think that if you can't imagine it, go ahead. Does it mean it's going to happen? Not necessarily, but it shouldn't take us by surprise. All right, Joe, thank you for joining me. Before we let you go, where can our listeners find you online and where can they find your show? Follow me on Twitter at Walsh Freedom. The podcast is called White Flag with Joe Walsh, wherever you listen to podcasts. And guys, I would love you to take a listen to Joe's podcast because what Joe does is brings people on for the kinds of discussions that are too few and far between, which is someone like Joe who comes from the MAGA wing of the Republican Party sitting down and having substantive, thoughtful conversations in which you don't always agree with your guest. But Joe, I think that you're building a bridge to understanding at the end of each of those conversations. And I think it's something we desperately need more of. Thanks, Reed. As always, gang, you can find me on Twitter and TikTok at Reed Galen on Instagram at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP. Joe Walsh, thank you. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode.